episode 388. I'm sitting right next to Faith. We're doing this in person today. <laughs> Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. This is honestly the most exciting part for me. Of course, we have I have been hosting your show, GFA, for quite some time now. And this is the first time I was able to speak yeah. and personally meet Mike. Yeah. And I'm super happy. It's really good. I got a chance to meet you and of course be able to host one one-on-one with him in front of you guys. So it's a special episode. Totally because special. also we are here in Tagatai, which is the volcano in a volcano. Exactly. It's pretty cold out here. That's it's, why I have my jacket, jacket on here. You might want to grab wearing, your jacket. I should wear the, the jacket, but I'm wearing your Christmas gift you got me. It's really exactly. cool. Exactly. I just bought it. Black polo. Do you like it? Yeah, it's super. <laughs> for, for those watching on video, you can see it, but it's super. It's my style. Like, you it's, should just check in my style. Exactly. So. I haven't been seeing Mike wearing white or any colors for. <laughs> for, I don't know for how long, for, I don't know. So it's always, honestly, I'm very grateful. Thanks, I got this yeah. chance to be able to house with you being here. Also we're here with our team, not only yeah. with us. We have our whole team here. We're going, going to show you yeah. what's happening in the back end here a bit later, right? Yeah, after the episode. <laughs> exactly. All right. So we just want to get it on. This is an episode with Jeff. Jeff, Jeff Matthews. He's a friend I met in the, you know, in over the years and he's he's deep in the Amazon FBA buying and selling rode that roller coaster of the ups and downs so it's a longer show he really gives lots of definitions and trends and multiples and uh, you know it was a deep one and it's a good one for the year it's the end of the year so 2023 is coming I think there's still one more show before the new year, but you know, mm -hmm. it's a good one for the end of the year. Exactly. There's a lot coming in, especially with Jeff, of course, that he has been in the industry for, I mean, a lot of years now. And of course, being him, being able to show or even share the knowledge to our viewers and also our podcast listeners, it's very, very valuable for you. You want to take down your notes here yeah, lots because of notes. this is not only a 1.2, but there's a lot of bullet points that you want to share and get and also share with your friends if, if you're like an aspiring Amazon seller or at least want to learn more before you start being an Amazon seller where this is the episode for you. Let's do let's let's go right in. Let's go right in and we'll get back in the actuality. Yeah. See ya. Are you looking for a cross-border logistics company from Asia to the east and the west? Then look no further. Cross Better Logistics is a solution for you. From ocean shipping to air freight, from factory to 3PL warehouse, Amazon FBA, and Walmart. Cross Better Logistics is an experienced service provider for e-commerce sellers and B2B traders on TPS Trade. As a GFA Partner Level sponsor, let them know we sent you and they'll take care of you. Check them out at www.crossbetter.com today. Welcome back, everyone. We are now back in another podcast here at the GFA podcast and we are very happy today since our episode today is very much interesting and for me we are so excited to have this guest in our podcast today and of course 
And um, if you're going to ask, mainly, this is mainly about the ups and downs of the Amazon FBA acquisitions industry. Well, I don't want to keep you waiting too long. I want to let you know that we have a special guest here. This is Jeff, an experienced business broker and a partner in the FBA broker. Welcome, welcome here, Jeff. How are you? Thank you. Very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We're yeah. so happy to have you. And, and I mean, Mike is so happy to have you here as well. Yeah, you know, we were preparing for the show just now. And I was like, man, let's hit the red button, hit the record button, because you're seeing some cool stuff. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm excited. I mean, there's like, like you said, maybe we start with the last time we left off. And maybe, you know, a lot's changed in all of our lives, everybody, especially COVID, but just life in general, life changes. But uh <laughs> A lot of seems to have changed in, in your world. Looks like for the better. But uh, how, how are you doing? Yeah, I, yeah, good. I mean, obviously, you know, um, the last couple of years have been pretty crazy for everyone. And, uh, you know, some people, it was really nice to see a lot of people took advantage of it. You know, I remember uh, listening to, uh, I think it was like a Dean Jackson podcast or whatever, where, and he said it really early on. And he said, don't let the pandemic be a missed opportunity. And I was like, yes, yes, I need to hang on to that, man. Like, I yes. need to hang on to that. Like, anytime, anytime, like things are down or like sales are down, but this isn't going right. It's like, man, what can I do to like turn this into an opportunity? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that was really cool. But yeah, I I don't actually remember the last time that we spoke, but um, I wasn't doing this then because I had a business with my wife, and we had been running this business for uh, a number of years, and. Um, this was in the travel space and I mean, timing being what it is, this was before the pandemic. So yeah, this was man. a good, you know, and things were going well, right. I mean, we, we had traveled the world. We had, we were doing this, you know, everything was going great. Um, and we thought that maybe now, you know, at that time or whatever, it was a good time to, to think about selling. And we'd heard rumblings of this buyer in the space. So we got in touch with them and we're like, you know, here's our stuff. Like, what do you think would, you know, and he ended up making an offer that surprised us. Like, we were like, wow, okay. You know, and a lot of sellers go through that too, right? They don't really know, you know, they're like, wow, until a buyer says, I'll pay you this much. You're like, oof, okay, this is for reals now. There's commas and zeros involved <laughs> here, remember, man. This is different. I remember, man. I remember you're just, you're going through this with. Yeah. And yeah. so this was uh, something that we had decided to do ourselves, right? So we decided to keep going down the road with this buyer. Um, I mean, hindsight being what it is, this was really stupid of us to do, but we kept going down. Cause I mean, Hey, it was an offer that we liked and you know, this guy, um, you know, said all the right things, but then we started to get into to the diligence phase. And of course, trying to do this all of yourself while also still trying to run your business is awful. Like the amount of data and like the requests and questions and stuff that they had all just fell on us because we didn't have an intermediary to to help us with this so um but this got like right into like i think it was actually new year's eve and he called us uh, the money was in escrow like we were closing that day money was in escrow mentally we'd already spent it we were already moved on right like we we were already out the door and he called us up and it was in the evening and we had friends over already and he had some questions about a certain metric and we did the best we could to try to explain it, but he got cold feet. 
um, and end up pulling the whole deal. He actually paid a penalty to take his money out of escrow, but something about it didn't sit right with him. We weren't able to, we knew what it was, but we weren't able to communicate it to him. And of course, at that time, there's nobody to get on the phone to like help you. And he ripped the whole deal apart right in front of us, man. And we were absolutely shattered. Oh, like, man. like diligence, like months long diligence is really, really hard. And it was having your life's work basically ripped apart, like, you know, thread by thread. And, uh, and yeah, like right in front of you, basically. Right. And, uh, and then to come away with that, from that with nothing, like left us pretty broken. We were really upset about that, but um, we picked up the pieces and went back to work. And a few months later, we started to talk to uh, a friend of ours who's, who was the managing partner of, of uh, the FBA broker here. And, um, it was a different business. So it's not like that was going to be the right fit or anything, but we we're like, what should we do? And basically the overwhelming advice here was like, you need someone to help you with this. Selling a business is really, really hard. And we're like, we found that out, you know, the hard way, but yes, it is very, very hard. And um, he suggested to, to make some calls, do the rounds, interview some brokers, and find someone you trust, find someone you like, find a process that you can buy into and be mm. confident in. And that's what we did. And we ended up having a successful exit out of that and further conversations. Um, I said, I want to, I want to do this. Like, how, like I want to be able to help people get a premium for their business and not make the same mistakes that, that we did and not go down that same path. So fast forward to today, a few years later, um, you know, we've helped a, a number of, of, uh, of business owners capture, you know, seven, eight figure exits. And, um, nice. and it's been a really fun ride to really, uh, like I said, help people and steer them in the right direction and be completely on the side of the seller, right? Like the buyer's not in our back pocket. Like we are working for the seller. We're on the same team, you know, a good exit for them is a good exit for us. It's like, let's, let's capture a premium here. So that's, yeah, it's kind of like the, the, sorry, it's kind of a, a um, long walk for a short drink of water there, but that's, oh, uh, like that's nice. kind of the, the, the nuts and bolts of, of how that, that uh, a failed exit turned into a successful exit. Turned into, I want to help people do this. Cause I remember we were on, yeah. we did a mastermind together for a while. And I remember you were yeah. actually, when we were kind of wrapping up that, that mastermind sessions, uh, you were going through this process. So I, 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 Sorry to hear the bad. It got ugly, man. Part, but uh, I remember <laughs> yeah. you were going through talking to them. I remember, I remember you were maybe an early stage process with the buyer. Or maybe you were looking to sell. I can't remember exactly at that stage, but you were definitely like in that mindset. So, well, yeah. glad it worked. Ended up working in the end, but geez, that does sound a freaking nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it was tough, man. But it was—it's not an uncommon story either. I mean, if you look at the whole world of, of even in the e-commerce we'll talk about e-commerce it's that that's kind of what we're into today but you know this 75 percent fail rate you know just because a business is listed for sale does not mean it's going to transact on the other end diligence is really tough and a 75 percent fail rate meaning there's only 25 percent of the businesses that get listed are actually going to sell so mm. you know there, there's a big big chance so that's yeah that's something to be aware of for sure got it all right and absolutely us having to hear that there's a lot coming in again it's always the bad experiences that helps us just progress to better and 
the future endeavors that we do have. And of course, we want to tap into FBA. Of course, everyone's uh, been waiting for this and getting started riding the FBA acquisition wave. And yeah, you saw the uh, trend early for the FBA rollups. Uh, when did you first get started focusing on Amazon sellers specifically? Well, the FBA broker started, I think, around 2016. And it was really the first uh, brokerage to focus exclusively on um, e-commerce businesses with an Amazon sales channel, right? With that FBA sales channel. Um, I mean, of course, there were other brokerages um, selling all types of businesses, some online, some not. But no one was really focusing on, you know, this kind of like emerging appetite at that time for online uh, product-based businesses. So. Um, we were there well before the aggregator craze started. So, um, but yeah, the writing on the wall, I guess, I, th- I think there was probably rumblings of it back 2018 or so, if I'm remembering correctly. I mean, yeah. I think at that time it was like, wouldn't it be nice if someone could like buy a bunch of Amazon yeah. businesses? Uh, they seemed so easy to run, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, I think um, that's true. Yeah, sorry, I, I think at least the first rumblings, right? Like it didn't really start to take off because I mean, nobody had funding for it, right? That was the hardest part. But yeah, I mean, there were certainly talks because the, you know, like it, Amazon businesses were so easy to run, you know, um, what if one person could run two, three, four, five brands um, that were uh, already established, right? Like it's hard to start a business, but you know, the maintenance uh, thing, you know, that was the thing, but Amazon was growing. It was kind of like the, the tide that floats all boats. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, certainly COVID hit and e-commerce went into hyperdrive and money poured into the space. Right. And investors were there. Everybody was shocked. Everybody was caught off guard by the the global scale of it, but investors needed to find ways to get returns on their money and you know e-commerce with with stores closed e-commerce took off and that was a smart uh smart you know area to put their money in to to get a a quick return um yeah but it was pretty crazy ride over the last couple of years i mean i remember the first ones that kind of really came into the space um obviously the the big names and I remember having a lot of conversations with people because there was no, um, it was just an idea, right? There was no uh, proof of concept that this was actually going to work. Um, I mean, the idea to buy up a bunch of growing, profitable Amazon e-commerce businesses. And at that time, it was like two and a half to three and a half times multiples. Centralized operations, ride the Amazon wave, you know, with a massive consumer behavior shift and, you know, there weren't many other options for consumers for a while, but then stack all of those revenues and float their overall enterprise value and get like 10 to 15 times on exit, get rich along the way. I mean, yeah. all of this, this was the whole point of us. Maybe they go public or whatever, it but bad. it was absolutely insane when the amount of copycats and money that started to, to flow into this space and all of a sudden aggregators popped up from everywhere and they had to compete with each other to buy businesses. And this is where we saw multiples go up five, six, seven times. Like this was, I mean, if you think about that for a second, like in terms of a multiple and what it really is, like they're future paying 
say five, six, seven years of your income at today's value. Nuts. But some of these companies were only two and three years old. So how do you future pay seven years for a three when this business doesn't even have that much history? It was absolutely insane, but it was, it was happening. I mean, it wasn't without structure. And some people got, um, you know, we could talk about that in a minute, but structure really screwed a lot of people. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, nobody knew this was going to work or not. It was never a guarantee. It was high risk, potentially high reward. Um, and it crumbled. You know, yeah. it couldn't withstand the stress test of global forces. Yeah. <laughs> Adding a little color to in my in our community in my space in my life like you said like um it, it actually was almost like a well i guess everything dropped in march 2020 right like march 2020 was like the uh apocalypse of mm. the world right even fba yeah. market i don't know um it just collapsed because they um i was actually doing so i was a i'm still a shareholder small shareholder in act aggregator that i sold my brand to um this is a ton of one we did on a show uh wrote a book about it e-commerce gladiator i think you might know but i was also joining as like bd partner or you know a you know, associate whatever my title was and we they cut every everything just got frozen because of the mm-hmm. march 2020 because amazon stopped accepting new inbound shipments <laughs> i was like we were chatting before the recording about our struggles and and borders closing i was in the philippines bouncing between a whole island taking a ferry to cebu trying to stay in hotels trying to find a place getting kicked out here kicked out here back of taxis at the same time amazon is not accepting new ship inbound shipments people are like flooding to try to book the shipments because we heard on a word on the street it was going to cut off the next day and people were booking in right at 3 p.m. Uh, Manila time, which is like midnight Pacific time in the U.S., right? As soon as you flip midnight, boom, off. People were like in the middle of their shipping plans trying to put it through and it got like locked out, couldn't put new shipping plans to Amazon. And then we felt like the world was ending. We had, there was, mm-hmm. that aggregator had containers still in China, not shipped. Had to just leave it in China. Find three PLs, huge nightmare. So I, mm-hmm. everything like froze. Actually, sellers were frantically trying to sell like i think multiples maybe at that like two three week time period but then it went the complete opposite way because everybody could only buy on e-commerce so then the amazon mm-hmm. stuff started shooting up in like april 2020 or so may may 2020 went nuts but but that march 2020 was like people are like frozen we're thinking we're screwed like yeah scary times yeah that yeah. was nuts but then yeah, yeah then i remember that nuts. so i think deals and was- deals and in- progress at that time just got cut off at the knees man it was that was uh yeah <laughs> oh, a lot of sleepless like the nights world was ending seriously it felt like the world was ending in that march mid-march friday the 13th friday the 13th march 2020 um <laughs> yeah yeah that day just burned into your mind right that was i remember everybody's like up. where are we gonna get toilet paper from right people yeah were stock up toilet paper, masks yeah, yeah stock up on uh, uh, Canned food, man. I had a duffel bag of canned food I was carrying around with me and in my backpack. I was in carry-on luggage yeah. mode only, man. I felt like I was in. I was getting kicked out of Airbnbs. Like I, I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like I, I felt like I was gonna like sleep on the streets with canned. I like the Hormel chicky, ch- uh, chili Hormel chicky. I, I was just like, 
I even recorded a podcast on somebody's show while I was in a hotel, like, and then they're trying to kick me out of the hotel during the recording. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> like insane, man. Like security. I hope, I hope you left that in. I hope you left that in. Yeah, the guy was saying, like, yeah. Um, I, I, man, I'm forgetting the person on Dan, Danny, in, uh, in uh, Indonesia, Bali. But um, anyway. But yeah, so but but then it went the other way. Then it went, everybody was going nuts for Amazon. Everybody's going nuts. I just remember that. Then then it was like summer 2020, maybe, or everybody's going into Amazon hardcore. Yeah. All these aggregators. Yeah, yeah it was strange, man. Strange times. Like we we were in uh we were actually in Mexico when that I mean, we were living in Budapest, right? And you know, a strong expat community, strong like digital nomad community. And it was an awesome place to, to live. Our daughter was actually born there. And, um, and it, it was great. We met so many cool people with cool businesses. And this right around the time that got involved in, in, uh, in doing this. And we just decided as a team, we're like, let's go somewhere cool and work in the same office together for like, because, you know, working at home, like this, we've been doing this for 10 years. There was nothing new to us, right? So like the idea of like, going to Mexico, getting a cool office, getting a baller apartment with like a pool and like just everything. Like, let's do that for a few months, work in the same space, like work out together, just everything, like hit the beach bars after work, whatever. Like, this is going to be fun. North American time zone never hurts either. Cause it's, it's tough when you're halfway around the world, as you know, but, um, but that, that was it, man. And then, and then the headlines just kept going and going and going and going and, and, you know, at the time, it, you know, I, yeah, like March 2020, right? It was like, well, is this going to be a global catastrophe or is it not going to be a global catastrophe? Like, don't, you know, it, we just don't know. So we're like, well, maybe we should go back to Hungary. And boom, Hungary shuts the borders. They shut the borders specifically for anyone who is not a Hungarian citizen. Well, we're not Hungarian citizens, but we had a resident permit. And anybody we called, emailed, or, or however we tried to get a hold of them, nobody could tell us if you travel all the way back to Hungary from Mexico, if you will be allowed in or not. With a year and a half year old daughter at that time. We're like, well, okay, so option B is, if this does turn into a massive global catastrophe, do we want to, to stress test the Mexican healthcare system? Or what should we do? <laughs> right. So like, because at that time, it's like March 2020, right? I mean, this is like that was nuts. It didn't feel like unreal. Nuts. Like it was it, it was real. it was scary, but the thought was this was just gonna put our heads down for a few months and all be over. And like, you know, nobody knew. So uh yeah, everybody kind of split. That's too bad. It gave up on our little Mexican uh um you know, not vacation, but you know. That was really fun. I, I feel like we got shortchanged. I feel like we need to go back and like fulfill that. But uh, never to but yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that's the story, man. I kicked out of Hungary and then these enterprising young fellows decided to start a business. This like saved us. Don't know who these guys were. <laughs> Found them online. And these guys basically knew that people were locked out of the country. Expats, digital nomads were locked out of the country. And they caught wind of this early, man. And they started a business to go into people's places, basically box up all their stuff and sell it for them and split the profit 70-30. And 
they could, you know, they, they were all like trilingual college age kids. Like, like this, and we were like, this is exactly the service we needed. Like all of a sudden a problem came up. It's only three weeks old, this problem or four weeks old. And these guys have already got this. They already knew what to do. Um, and I, I just like, again, I don't know who these guys were. I never met them, but man, that was just the perfect solution for us. So we actually had someone go in and box up our stuff and send us, send it back to us or, or sell what they could. And they sent back to us like anything that we wanted to keep, but That's, they photographed it all and sent it. It was great. I like that, man. Uh, I wish yeah. I had that. I had to beg a friend in BGC to, uh, I couldn't even mail the key because I had to leave the key in Cebu because there was no mail. LB, LGC, is it? Faith. They were not shipping. I I had to just drop my key off when I took the emergency flight back to China, like some kind of evacuation flight. I just like, I don't know what to do. Just hold my key in Cebu. And once they can ship, can just send this key to Manila. And then uh, I had to like, I wrote up, you know, I write a lot. So I wrote a long Google doc and uh, I said, okay, in, in the bathroom is this and that. I wrote out, I walked through my room, my apartment virtually in BGC. And I just outlined all my stuff from my memory and uh, and then the landlord wanted me to pay the electric fee. I lost the deposits, you know, whatever. I, he, I'm like, he's like, no, I only accept peso. I'm like, dude, I'm in China. I got PayPal <laughs> or nothing. You know, I'm not going to send yeah. you a peso. You get PayPal for your electric fee that I was locked out for two months. Or you can keep my like underwear and my like backup clothes and my like broken laptop, you know, if you want. You know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he accepted yeah. PayPal. Yeah, it was like a freaking nightmare. And then my stuff is moved from three people's houses or apartments. It's at Rico in BGC right now. But yeah, and I, I don't know if there was selling it. Yeah. Nightmare. It's going to be funny one day when you get that back. It's you know, gonna be like, like going through like like a dirty like laundry a in there, man. That buried I, in the backyard, right? I got dirty laundry in there, I think. That might have walked away by now. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I don't care. But I, I remember leaving dirty laundry when I left, you know, and I obviously didn't know the world was going to lock down. I was like, I'll be back in a few days and I'll do my laundry. But uh, I think that's still. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I, I like you know, people's stories, man. Everybody's got one, right? Everybody's got like where they were, what ha- like what they did. Some kind of crazy thing happened. But I mean, it all kind of had a funny way of, of, of working out. And like and like in your situation, it's still kind of been complete this was gonna be a nice little time capsule when you finally you know, able to open that box and like my whatever my style my story is uh i'm gonna just leave it in philippines now it's i i forgot what i have so uh, it's just gonna be like my <laughs> philippines belongings i'm not i'm gonna just right. i'm gonna just leave stuff there so i can just fly there with like carry on and just have like things there that's kind of my plan now right I there you go and unless you, you sort of roll the dice because uh maybe there's some you, you're overthinking it because you might have you might think you have stuff there and you don't actually have it anymore yeah that's happened in thailand there's stuff that my kids were like kind of sad because they had toys they were hoping they would get back all the toys are gone i don't know where they went somebody kept them somewhere in thailand so. yeah anyways yeah. somebody needed them more than they did i guess yeah <laughs> they're enjoying them Absolutely. There's a lot going on, especially when it comes to COVID. Also, us here, we were 
so stranded. There's a lot of things. Again, we were able to talk about this with uh, Corin as well. Like, uh, we need a community pass, travel pass. There's a lot of pass just to make sure that we can go out. Everyone's hoarding the toiletries, food <laughs> yeah. and canned foods. Yeah, there's so you know you're here in Manila before. There's a lot of happening. It was just too much. I really didn't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, it was just too much. And of course, I want to tap into that, especially we're talking about it already. And how about the COVID striking in March 2020? Any stories that you have of where people were getting stuck between borders? Any more stories about that? Um, I, don't think, I don't think so. I think we kind no, of covered but, that. Just now. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. It's mainly it, right? And of course, uh, the one that we were able to talk about, the uh, aggregator craze, and we'd love to hear it, and also the structure that you were talking about earlier. And so it seems like mid to late 2020, uh, the phone is ringing off the hook. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, it, it's, it's funny, though, because aggregators... Um, were definitely stealing all the headlines and had all the PR and they had the neon signs outside their office. Like we want to buy your business and we'll pay you stupid money to, to go get it. But aggregators represent a pretty small portion of the buyer pool. Like they're, 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 they're banging the drum the loudest, but they, they actually make up a very, very small portion. So the whole private equity space and strategic financial buyers, like everyone else just kind of took a, you know, it's kind of let these guys fight with themselves <laughs> and wait it out. And I'm sure they're glad, they're glad that, that they did, right? Um, because yeah, like it's, the phone was ringing off the hook. It, it was sellers and buyers. I mean, buyers were honest, like always trying to get the jump on, on the next deal that was coming out, right? Um, and and it got pretty sloppy where they would just buy anything and make these stupid offers so that nobody could say no, just so they could get exclusive access to deals. And um, they a lot of them had a pretty dirty playbook. Um, for the most part, the sellers, you know, did did pretty well. But when I mentioned structure, because you know, a lot of sellers really focus in on this multiple, the whole idea of a multiple. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's multiple is a vanity metric, man. And, and, and well, not vanity, but what, what I mean by that is like a multiple should never be the target, right? We need to talk in real numbers because a multiple does not tell the whole story. A multiple is a result of a deal, right? So like somebody says, I can offer you, 5x for your business that's great but really how does that how is that 5x being achieved and that's going to be made up of some cash at close yes and some of it's going to be made up from from structure either it could be an earnout could be a holdback could be a stability payment could be seller financing could be an equity play could be all sorts of things but all that means at the end of the day is that the buyer puts less cash into the deal up front and anything that comes after that is at risk on some level some less risky, some more risky, but at risk on some level because it's not in your pocket today. So if you got offered a 5X deal, but you got 3X at close, and then the economy collapses and the aggregators tank your business and the extra 2X is never paid, then the result of your deal is a 3X 
did you still get a good deal or didn't you, right? So, I mean, that's the, the valuation up front matters less than the, than the, you know, the structure of, of a deal and negotiating that to be in your favor and more secure than what's initially offered by pulling, you know, certain levers to, to try and secure it a bit better. But that's what I mean by that, you know, like, cause right now there's not a lot of earnouts being paid. Mm. which is really, really unfortunate because, you know, they're missing their target and you sold your business. You've handed it off to a buyer who, you know, has complete control and a hundred percent say over what happens next and you're in the dust. So whatever you got on the day of close is what you got for your business. So that's, you know, a lot of sellers right now are, could be having remorse that they didn't sell last year, but I mean, realistically, you know, some of those buyers are in a, in a fairly tough spot now. I mean, thinking of all of the, the, the global stressors that have been put on businesses on a singular level, like you as a business owner, oh, the shipping crisis, oh, the shipping prices are too high. Oh, my container's stuck at port, whatever. Well, uh-huh. what if you had a hundred brands? Like imagine that if you had 120 brands or whatever, and all it's all happening to your and- entire portfolio at once. And your lenders are like, we need our money back, man. Uh-huh. It's, you know, that's... Yeah. So it's really painful. Yeah. Container, even right now, we, we have a couple of brands we're doing it internally. And one has been this huge nightmare of, in LA. Really a nightmare. Yeah. It's Long pain, Beach but, got uh... oh, pain. The pains. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. I see you twitching right now. I, I, <laughs> I struck a nerve. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, I go back and forth. You know, over the years, I said I wasn't going to be a seller, but then my friends get me back in for various defining the reasons, you know, I just have no patience for logistics. You know, I shouldn't be involved in logistics, but I'm somehow involved in this logistics situation right now of a container in LA. It clear customs is at the warehouse, but the warehouse has got like, I don't know. I don't want to like, it's, I'm just going to say some kind of labor, labor issue. And so we have another warehouse going to that warehouse and it's different companies and contacts and groups and emails and phone calls and, I turn off my phone at night now because they just call me thinking I'm in the US and it wakes me up at like three o'clock in the morning. So it's just like oh, yeah. a, a nightmare. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's another. Hopefully, I'll wait till there's a more positive story <laughs> still in the Yeah, I'm waiting for you to start dropping names. So, man, I don't want to hear some <laughs> I don't want to go there yet. I'm, try- <laughs> I'm, try- I'm hoping everybody cooperates and we just get mm-hmm. through this right now. Yeah. Yeah, it'll happen. I, yeah, Long Beach was uh, was really stacked for a while. They bore the brunt of it for sure. Um, but you know, the, I mean, the thing think... is, the sad thing is, these logistics companies use it sometimes to their advantage to jack you up on rates because they, yeah, you don't really know exactly what's going on. So then they'll just start throwing in extra fees and extra charges and extra this and extra that, and then your bill just goes up thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars. It's like, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Anyways, I'll save that. I'll wait for the happy ending, or at least an ending is still kind of in process. <laughs> right, right. A content ending, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's not a, a story. <laughs> might not be happy, but might not be terrible either. <laughs> yeah. Make break some gaps or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, uh, we, we were talking about just earlier, uh, some of the basics mainly. This is for uh, people that don't know much about this, like defining a multiple earnout and SDE. Again, uh, like the five times, three times, can we briefly explain it in what earnout is? 
Uh, just, just yeah. some basics um, for people that might not know. I mean, I, maybe listeners know, yeah. but I don't want to, you know, we kind of more advanced show and, but I mean, we just give some brief definitions of those, those kind of terms. Yeah, more- for sure. I mean, there's the, a fairly common deal structure was um, from an aggregator specifically is that you would get some cash at close, maybe 70% of the deal, maybe 80% of the deal, but like a significant portion of cash. Right. And then the, the remaining deal value was usually in two tranches, right? So you'd have 12 months post-close anniversary. If the business hit a certain performance metric, whether that's SDE or revenue target or whatever it was, then it would unlock like another turn or another multiple or whatever. And then on year two, same thing, 24 months later, did it, you know, achieve another threshold. So, but again, you hit it or you don't right? There was no safety net there. And some of those targets were fairly aggressive with, if, you know, if people tried to, to negotiate with buyers, I mean, buyers are sharks, right? I mean, they're, they are, and, you know, they were offering like, you know, crazy multiples, but did those actually come to fruition? It really depended. Like earnouts was risky. You're, they're basically asking the seller to hold on to some of that risk and roll the dice on the buyer that they're able to, to grow the brand. And um, in, a, in a lot of cases, they weren't. And it could be some global, you know, stressors that we're on, like we just talked about with like shipping and, and market headwinds and that kind of stuff. But these guys were so wrapped up in acquiring businesses that I don't know if it was pure ignorance or what, but they kind of forgot that they also needed to operate the businesses at the same Man. time. And this is a yeah. huge criticism of I, the aggregators that became acquisition machines. It. But- I can't say shit. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't say shit. I have contracts. I can't say shit. But yeah. No, you can't. But you can nod I- your head. I, I can. I can hear agreement. Yeah, I can't say shit. Tongue, we'll say. I can't say shit. But I don't know. Like these aggregators think they were superstars, but they don't even know how to operate an Amazon Seller Central account. And then they were like just getting huge money, and then they were just buying companies, not even knowing how to like. Yeah, I mean, there was so many blunder. Like, it kind of makes yeah. me upset well, a little you know bit what? because. Actually- we're practicing, you know, like, you know, you and me, we're on masterminds. I know you weren't in the FBA space, but you're, you know, we're, 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 ex- you know, operators, we're executors. We know what we're doing, but then all these guys with just mm-hmm. money and yeah. finance started coming into the space, not knowing anything, just throwing money around and, you know, hiring my yeah. friends, hiring, trying to hire me, trying to buy like my podcast. It was like out of control, you know, it's like totally out of Yeah, control. it was, it was ridiculous. But I have to say that I don't want to throw all aggregators under the bus um, <laughs> because the, 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 the arc that we saw or the phases, I guess, that we saw is that the aggregators that came in at the beginning who had this idea and they got gazillions of dollars, you know, from, from, from multiple lending sources just thrown at them for, the express purpose of acquisition, right? They buy up as much Amazon real estate as possible. And then, but I feel like what happened was like some of the aggregators that came in later saw the writing on the wall here, right? They could see the C-suite. They could see who made up the core of these companies. And there was a real key component missing. So some of the newer aggregators, like newer, I mean, this is like, you know, the, the ones that came in eight, 10 months later um, saw that and they started to make up their executive team from ex Amazon, you know, yeah. ex eight figure operators, current eight figure operators, whatever. But like they started to, to build the core uh, exec team 
that had operational knowledge. And guess what? Those guys are still acquiring right now because mm. they knew that, right? They, the pressure is off the multiples for sure these days, but some yeah. of these guys are still acquiring and some of them were actually very, very good to deal with. So I don't want to throw them all under the bus. Some of them actually were, were our, our sound um, equity firms is what they really turned into. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, not all of them were, were awful. There were some at the beginning that played dirty. They were sharks. They were just trying to get, you know, snap up deals and go direct. There was millions of emails a month trying to go direct for the sole purpose of trying to take away competition and just go in and scoop it up and, you know, hiring $1,200 an hour lawyers to like have these contracts that basically steamroll these guys and they had no idea. All they saw was commas and zeros. And they were like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. sign my business away. Um, yeah. But the, I, the ones that came in after, like the phase two aggregators, I really enjoy dealing with. And they're still acquiring. There's nice. still good deals to be done. So, yeah, it's, it's not all doom and gloom for sure. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but, but I better get that out there before I get myself into trouble too. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I was the same, you know. And honestly, even those ones that maybe didn't know what they were doing, I they had to write. Some, mostly had some had the right intentions, but all I know is in my, uh, I've learned about myself. I'm like an operator, you know, uh, personally. But uh, it kind of annoyed a lot of my friends and I because we're like sellers or e-commerce business owners since like 10, 15 years, you know, mm-hmm. and. Then all of a sudden this thing flashes and people that don't know what they're doing are just kind of almost messing up the whole industry in, in, yeah. in some ways. But um, yeah. just before we go yeah. to the next point, I just want to kind of cliff, just do a little bit of the basics. SDE means seller discretionary earnings, I think. And it's kind yeah. of a, it's almost like, it's basically, I don't know what the other, it's it's more for smaller businesses. And it basically just means like how much profit did a business make after the seller's uh maybe salaries or dividends, I think, right? Basically, it's, so basically you would run the Amazon numbers, right? And then you say, okay, made a hundred or thousand dollars a month, you know, times 12, that's the yearly average profits or SDE. And then the multiple is like times three, if it's three years. So three actually talking about three year times yearly earnings, SDE mm-hmm. or five. Mm-hmm. And then like, just to recap, just to kind of, and what Jeff's saying is there was earnouts, so they wouldn't pay all of that up front. They'd say it has to hit a certain target usually after a year, and then it get paid out like maybe monthly over a certain time frame. Some are even like, I hear some crazy ones, but some are like four or five years or something, or maybe one year, two years. So I have friends that didn't get those earnouts too because um, they blame the brand, they blame the aggregator because they're like, man, if I was running this, I would have hit that. You know, I believe, you know, but yeah. uh, that's but yeah. why seeing these multiples come in, it's not the number to focus on that. You, you like who the buyer is matters. It always yeah. has mattered. It matters a great deal, especially if you're really, really care about your brand. And, you know, if these guys would come in and say all sorts of stuff if they were going to, but the, you know, due to the brand, but I mean, realistically, they didn't have the history. There's no proof that they were ever going to be able to, or had success with any other, other, brand um growing it you know what i mean so yeah i i always really try to you know instill in any client that we work with that to remember that who the buyer is matters get them to pitch to you because you don't get a say after you sign that document and if there's any money at risk i want to make sure that it's mailbox money it's bonus money 
what yeah. you get on day one is, you know, if, if nothing ever else happens, then you still got a good deal, you know, and you're not going to walk away being like, ah, this stupid guy tanked my business and now I can't get my money and I want to take him to court and sue him and all this kind of stuff, man. I hear it all. Yeah. I'm but, that too. Yeah. I mean, but what are you going to do? You, you, you sign, you sign your business the way, you know, like if you, if you sell your car to a guy and he crashes it into a pole, well, that's, you know, what are you going to do? Like, you, well, there's nothing you can do. Right? You well, bill of sale so, I mean, that's a good analogy, <laughs> but if you got, if you got paid up front for him to crash the car, you don't really care. Of course, maybe you care because you like the car, you know, that analogy, but if you got paid with the car had to win the next three races, in every year or mm-hmm. had to finish 10th out of like a hundred for you get extra, extra more money. And they like crashed a car in the first year. So you don't get any of that extra money or like, I like the idea of mailbox money, but yeah, I mean, it's true. I think a lot of sellers almost just like assumed that earnout would come, you know, they just assumed or were convinced that this guy, this new company is an expert and they're going to like grow this brand and I'm going to get even more money than I could have gotten. But yeah. now you're saying even now, now aggregators, I mean, not now the space doesn't even have earnouts. You're saying, I, I mean, maybe we can talk about that later, but uh, that's amazing. No, it was just like some earnouts were not getting paid now because the you know oh. things tanked and metrics weren't hit, and and now you know people are left with not getting that mailbox money. And if they didn't negotiate a strong enough upfront payment, then they're going to be really really mad about what's happening right now. True. Um, and there's not a whole lot they can do about it, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was at risk and it was assumed that both parties accepted that risk when they signed the, the document. And if you weren't comfortable with that, then, you know, you need to keep negotiating. And that's, and that's part of the lesson that, that we learned early on, too, in our uh, trying to deal with a buyer direct is that we didn't, it wasn't automatically clear that everything was negotiable. And when I say everything, I mean everything everything is negotiable. Every tiny thing about that, whatever their initial offer is, and nobody comes with their best offer right up front, right? I mean, everybody knows that. That's, that's, that's the 101 in the playbook, right? Or whatever. But that's, you know, you think that, you know, it is components to the deal, pay this much money to close, we're going to hold back 20%. And, you know, once the, the inventory final adjustment is done, you get that 20%. And then 12 months post close, we're going to give you, you know, another 1x. And then if it hits this number in 24 months, it's going to hit that 1x. And like, but then they look at overall deal value 5x. And you're like, that's an awesome deal. Yeah. Where do I sign? Where do I sign? You know, and it's like, okay, but, the, you know, you need to read that fine print. And if, you know, you need to know that every little component of that was negotiable. Yeah. They probably would have paid you more money up front had you said that that was a deal breaker for you or whatever, you know? So that's, that's part of our daily life. Yeah. You that's know, just that's a value. Look yeah. under the hood there, but that's, yeah. 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 Absolutely. That's since we are also take, talk, I mean, t- talking more about the ups and downs, of the business uh, lately, of course, we are mapping out the roller coaster by data. Well, of course, it's Jeff, uh, you are the data guy here. So, if possible, we'd love to hear some KPI indicators of the ups and downs in this space. And of course, probably a key metric is the average multiple on SDE over the years. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. 
I mean, you know my thoughts on multiple. Yeah, we were talking about. <laughs> kind of, I guess you know. <laughs> but I mean, I mean just, just yeah, trades evaluations, maybe you know, like deal sizes or or uh, premiums or you know. I mean, right now it's it's less about it's less about metrics and more about trends. I guess like like not less about hard metrics, more about the trends and what's happening because looking at the metrics over the last few years tells us what things were like in that, you know, in that time, in that window of time, that's what things were like. That's what deals were worth, but that's not what's happening today. So like looking back at at comp data is, is nice. And, and, you know, but it doesn't really tell us what a business will be worth to a buyer today um, by, by looking at what was happening six months ago. You know what I mean? That doesn't really help us much. Um, But I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. To get into some of the stats, um, if you want, like if we take like the median multiple over the last five years, it really doesn't change much. You know, like in the two to five million space, for example, you know, we're looking at like a four, 4.2 multiple as a median. If you don't think the average, it's going to skew ridiculous over the last couple of years. But the median is still fairly, you know, in that 4.2, which is, which is high for an e-commerce business. I mean, like two years ago, two and a half years ago, that was a great, great deal. And it's, I think it's, it's going to come back that way. But the funny thing is, like, with all the deals that were getting done over the last, you know, 18, 20 months, that metric or that stat of that 75% fail rate never changed. It never changed. It's been the same since 2017 or 16 or whenever we first started tracking it. It hasn't changed. It changes a little bit depending on like if you're looking at like under 500,000 in deal value, 500,000 to 2 million in deal value, two to five, whatever, whatever um, category you're looking at, you know, it might go from 21% to 23%, you know, success rate or whatever. But around that 75 is just never, is never wavered. So more deals came to market, but that just means more didn't transact. Hmm. So interesting. I mean, one little point maybe you can clarify, but I think I've heard in the space, there's something called like a cornerstone business versus like a, a non cornerstone. I don't want to get so technical. I mean, or keystone maybe where it comes with a team or the operations or they, the first one aggregator or the investor buys to operate the future businesses. Like if I swear I heard this somewhere on a podcast or speaking or, or, yeah, it depends on the size. Like, I think you're talking about a, plat- a platform investment. Yes, um, I forget the nerd, but they say they buy it because they want to use that to buy other ones, and that's the operating yeah. business. Yeah, exactly. So mo- mostly in, in the private equity world, they're going to call that like a, a, a platform play. Wow. So like if this is their first acquisition in a particular category, like let's say this private equity firm wants to go into pets. And they're going to make their first acquisition in pets, uh, in the pet space. Um, usually, it's going to be a significant one, right? It's going to have a large footprint. It's going to be mm. a, more of a robust brand. They're probably going to acquire 
uh, yeah, and exactly. bring in the experts that come come with that. And that's going to be like the jewel in the crown, like, like yeah. you're talking about. That's going to be their 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 platform investment in the pet space. And then they'll have all these add-on or bolt-on smaller businesses that will support that. Um, but that's kind of how that that that's more how the traditional roll-up should work. Right where they bought, they they make a large investment into one category. They centralize operations, and then they add on and buy up market share within that space. But what the aggregators did was they they sort of ignored categories and just <laughs> went, you know, they were category agnostic. They bought everything. Really? They just wanted to buy up as much real estate. So they had they had pets and automotive and baby and you know home and garden and kitchen utensils and just anything. I- that they could get that, that that had a certain whatever metric they wanted to hit. If it was, you know, 20% profit margin or 25 or whatever, then they bought it. And now they're. I think just to put the thought process on that, I remember, again, I'm not trying to call out anybody. I can't even recall who I heard it from, but I heard some of these aggregators saying they were doing that because it's Amazon. The category doesn't matter in Amazon, which I don't fully agree with, but they would say, you know, the operations is the same. The technology is the same. The supply chain is the same. Maybe they just looking at if it's coming from China or in, in you know, uh, India, or they look at the supply chain more than the category. Cause they're saying like, it's more about filling containers or, or volume than it is the category. I remember somebody yeah. saying, sounded smart saying that, you know, during this. So someone who sounded smart, but you know, <laughs> I don't know if you could, I don't know if you could tell me that the automotive mm-hmm. space is the same as the supplement space when you've got regulations and suspensions exactly. and, Again, and things like that happening at one and not the other. So that's yeah. the operator versus the investor or the visionary, I guess the operators. Cause I, I was more surrounded by operators in our community and we're all just like, what are these people doing? investments aggregators doing they're just buying anything like yeah 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 so i mean that that's yeah like the the traditional roll-up is it's a pretty sound method you know what i mean to to really buy up market share in a particular category um where you have an ability to buy the expertise right buy the teams that come with it yeah. And that's your first cost savings is, is to bring it into that ecosystem where you already have people operating that. That's how it should work. But you're right. They thought of Amazon as kind of this, this catch-all, this everything. And all I need is somebody doing Amazon. logistics and somebody doing co- customer service and we got this handled. But, you know, like complaints and compliance and regulations and all these kind of things differ from category to category. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that you, you might have hit one of the reasons why it didn't work <laughs> because the aggregators, like I mentioned that have been successful and did come in a little bit late, you know, aggregators 2.0 who saw the bugs in 1.0, you know, they do have a fairly, a, not totally tight, but a fairly dialed in investment criteria where they will, look at specific categories and ignore others because they know that they can be successful in some because of they already have investments in that space or, or a team, right? So they, they are looking to sort of narrow their focus a little bit and bring it into that sort of traditional roll-up model. Okay. Okay. Interesting stuff for sure. Um, There's a lot going on. A lot going on. I, I really agree. Again, it's already quarter four. 
here and uh, 2023 is coming in. And I think there's a lot um, to wait. And uh, there's a lot to happen as well when it comes to the progress. It's a very progressive. It's not slowing down. I, I really agree. I really agree. And of course, speaking of peak, the peak of acquisition, of the acquisition cra- craze, the year of 2021, um, from Mike's side, I believe so, the, the acquisition craze was full force in summer 2021 with money flying everywhere. All right. Left and right. Everyone was an investor looking for deal flow. What can you say about that, Mike? Yeah. I mean, I, I loved your Jeff's input. You know, we didn't really prep too much, but uh, it had a basic outline. But I would say the summer 2021, maybe fall of 2021 was the height of this, of this aggregator of avalanche. Is, is that what you would say? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would second that. Yeah. That the summer fall was, uh, was pretty crazy. Um, you know, I even had people introducing myself that we want to be the new Thoracio and, or we want to be the new whatever. And it's like, that's how you're introducing yourself. Really? Like not trying to be different at all. We're just like, you're basically broadcasting to the world that you want to be a copycat. Yeah. Like people were just literally leading with that. And it's yeah. like, all right, good luck with that. But, yeah. uh, yeah. Uh, but I yeah, saw. that's that's probably when we saw that the the largest deal valuations were probably in that summer and fall of twenty one. Yeah, exactly. Crazy times. <laughs> There's a lot, yeah. And of course, I'm um, speaking of that. Um, how has twenty twenty two been? for Amazon acquisitions. Also, what is the year like for you? Earlier in the year, since many, uh, since we were talking about focusing more on D2C. I I always think it's a good idea to focus on D2C, but, um, and and it's funny because the aggregators sort of made it seem like that wasn't something that was valued. And again, going back to the idea that aggregators were loud, but they made up a very small portion they, of the buyer pool. Dude, they didn't even like, care about websites and shit. Sorry. Yeah. Go, go, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. No, they didn't. You're absolutely really right. Frustrating. <laughs> You're, so frustrating. But, the, but so, so before that aggregator craze, right? Private equity firms who wanted to buy um, an e-commerce product-based business felt like 100% or 90% above Amazon business was risky, single sales channel. You could have been in all the different geos on Amazon, but it was a single sales channel risk. And to them, there's a barrier between you, the seller, and the customer. Somebody comes on Amazon's marketplace and buys your product, but they are not your customer. They're Amazon's customer. You had no control where they went next. So where they there was a limit there was an upper limit on where somebody would pay for that right because it was it was risky so you know and everybody knows that amazon is in complete control there they mess with one thing and and your your empire can crumble but you know so to spread that risk out and to develop a d2c channel that was a gold mine for investors who wanted a more robust brand presence because that's where they felt more comfortable. You've got a direct line of communication to the customer. You can collect their data. You can offer them exclusive deals. Amazon's always going to be there. That sales, you can't ignore that that sales channel for sure. But they really wanted like a significant amount of revenue coming off, off of Amazon. 
and and then you would see the valuations just like the sky was the limit because that's what they really wanted. That's where they really saw that value. If you're growing on that, off of Amazon, then the aggregators came along and said, nope, we just want 100% Amazon because that's what we know. And then it made it okay that people didn't do that. And now I feel like the trend is going back the other way. And I, I like it. I love it because that's really where the customers are going to win in the end by getting good deals, exclusive deals, exclusive access, all this kind of stuff, all these offers that you can do that Amazon kind of takes away from you. So I see a real trend to that. Um, you know, mining for that data, I think investors are really going to pay because it's perceived that that's, that's a real brand, right? If you've got real off Amazon presence yeah. and, you know, because I mean, two years ago, you'd talk to somebody like, oh, my, my brand is growing 20% year over year. I'm like, no, Amazon's growing 20% year over year. You're just kind of along for the ride. You know what I mean? So like, what are you doing specifically to grow your brand? And getting off of Amazon, I always think that that's a good, that's an excellent thing to do. Like for any brand, you have to, you have to get away from the dependency of, of Amazon. And that's going to show investors that, that um, you're a big grown up brand. I agree. Agreed. I mean, yeah. man, it's kind of what we preach, you know, in the, this community, you know, but there was, we've done conferences, you know, and, uh, in China and, you know, Asia and there's sell huge sellers. I would just say, you don't need a website. He, mm-hmm. I, and there's a big argument in our, in our space because, you know, of course it usually it's foreigners, Westerners, I say foreigners, but Westerners, but in Asia, especially China, a lot of them just say websites, waste of time, just do like PPC, eat blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, you know, so you're I, I get frustrated with that because people, I know. But you know the, the 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 again I don't I don't I don't want to how do I say? But people people are like shut down double, on Amazon, doubling down. That. They lost their Amazon yeah. accounts and they're gone. They're just boom, and they're gone, gone. Yeah, nothing, yeah. gone. So exactly. If you day. but if if that happened and you still had forty percent of your income coming in, you were you were able to like work to repair that, right? But if your entire business collapses because Amazon changed one thing or decided to. Uh, you know, call a specific word on, on, on listings and, and you have to prove to them that, you know, whatever, if it's down for like two, three days, three weeks, whatever, you're out. That's it. Yeah. No yeah. more money coming in. But yeah. I, I, I often banging my head against the wall trying to convince it, but people don't think that way, right? They're experts on Amazon. That's what they know. And they've tripled down on it. And that's, and that's what works for them. And to yeah. learn Google SEO, and yeah, you know yeah, those know. like like that is like a completely different game, and and it's and it it's a hard, real. Though. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. it is totally hard. To that's that why now. people will pay, but that's why people pay more for it because it is yeah. hard. Yeah. Right. That this you, when you think about like why an investor would want to buy a business versus starting a business because they have more money than they have time. They know it's hard. That's why businesses get valued at two, three, four, five, whatever times their earnings because. It is hard work and they're going to pay you for that because they don't have to do it themselves. It takes more resources and more time for them to actually do all of that themselves. So it's way easier for them to acquire. And if you give them something that's really hard to, to start, then it's going to be worth more to them if you're good at it. But that's, that's the thing. It's hard to like switch because like Amazon's SEO doesn't work on Google and Google's SEO doesn't work on Amazon. So you kind of have to 
it is a, it is a commitment. I get it. And if you're already like a seven figure seller on Amazon and somebody tells you you need a website, you're like, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I get it. I, I, I totally, I see it all the time. Like that's, and I, and, and I, and I get where they're coming from and that's enough for some people, but True. you know, Thanks, Jeff. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, um, um, speaking of, um, what is the future uh, for you selling your Amazon business on 2023, all right, and beyond? And also, what is in the magic crystal ball for Jeff? <laughs> crystal ball, huh? <laughs> well, I wish I had one. You know, yeah. we're all thinking of yeah. next year. It's- I know. And, and you know what? The thing to remember, though, is that good, profitable businesses will sell in any market condition. They have for since people started selling businesses all the way up to now and beyond. If there's a good, profitable business, there will be a buyer for it. Um, and, but it's been really, really easy, basically, to make money online in the last five years, right? And I think the, the, the lucky will, will fall away. Uh, they probably won't survive. And the stronger brands will. And I think so there's going to be a bit of a, a, a leveling out period. Um, the expectation is that valuations are coming down. They already are. They already have come down. But I, I don't think they're going to keep going down. Like it's not, I feel like they've come down in line to where they were in 2019. Mm. Like that, that risk that we were talking, that upper limit to what somebody would pay for an Amazon only brand exists. And it didn't for a short period of time, but I think it's, it's kind of like it's leveling out. And I think that that's what we're going to see because private equity people, like they were already rich, right? They could afford to let the aggregators play their game, beat themselves up, and, but they still have capital to deploy. And they're still looking at e-commerce. E-commerce hasn't gone anywhere. It's still growing. But private equity looks for you know, they look for products that solve problems, right? They look for brand presence. They look for defensibility. And that's what's really going to move that needle. They want to deploy that capital profitably, but they want to limit their risk. So that's why, like, getting onto that D2C platforms, I mean, this is all, we need to go back there because the private equity world, they want a real brand, not just the Amazon, a guy who sells stuff on Amazon, right? I totally agree. What's your thoughts on that, uh, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I, I said, of course, I, 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 you know, Jeff, Jeff and I are on similar wavelengths. You know, we've been into trenches, I think, as operate, you know, we've operated businesses from scratch. So we have a different mindset than I think a lot of times. Maybe these, I think a lot of investors, I'm, Jeff talks to more than I do, but they don't want to go through that hardship. They just want to cut, you know, like save time. So, as long as you can prove to them that is a valuable, what's that called? I think Warren Buffett calls it moat, or it's just called moats, right? But mm-hmm. defensibility, like you said, like how easy is it for somebody else to come in and do what you've done, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really, I think, what a premium or a multiple is representing. How hard is it for somebody to recreate what you've built? You know, if I can just recreate your exact business. Uh, why would I pay a multiple? I would just do it myself, right? But if you can prove to this buyer that it's really, really hard to do what you've built and they should pay three, four, five, six years upfront of the future earnings of what you've built, then that, you know, you have to prove that, right? You build a case 
Um, and yeah, I mean, there'll always be a market for people to buy and invest and, you know, roll up businesses. So, um, you know, I think there's reports yeah. on the internet about multiples, standard multiples, but it seems like from what I've learned from Jeff today is maybe people aren't paying as close attention just to that metric of multiple and, uh, you know, uh, looking at the whole package and, uh, people getting smarter and mature markets maturing. Of course, there's more yeah. and more of these, these sellers complaining. They're like, I sold my stupid brand to ag- aggregator X, Y, Z, and they destroyed it. And I didn't get my earn out. So now we all are learning. Right. But that didn't, we didn't hear those <laughs> stories before. Right. Yeah. But now yeah. it's in Facebook groups, it's on podcasts and, you know, different forums. So, you know, I think the whole market's just matured and, and uh, I think that's it has sellers are smarter, buyers are smarter, um, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, there, there's a fair amount of caution right now. Um, there's still activity in the market. We're taking a deal to, to market tomorrow. Um, so, you know, like there, there are still good brands that are coming to market. I feel like there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I don't, I don't want to sell right now. I'm going to wait. And, you know, the, I, sure. I mean, you can, I guess, if you want to. But I mean, again, you know, nobody has a crystal ball here as much as we'd like to to have one. I mean, we can see where things are trending. And um, but if it feels right, then explore it. You might be surprised because strategic investors typically see value on their own terms anyway as looking at a deal to see what it means to them and you know when we're talking about like that roll-up model right where somebody has a brand and this could be a nice add-on it could be a good fit well how much is it worth to them to like buy that market share buy that audience or buy your product that's unique cross-selling the opportunities are endless so that's why they they kind of look at it a little bit differently so Standard multiples typically don't apply in that situation. So good deals are still being had. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't just, you know, k- kick stones being like, oh, the aggregator craze is over. That was a, that was a, you know, a blip. It was a glitch in the matrix. It happened. Get over it. I, you know, people got good multiples, but I, I, would venture to say that there weren't that many people that got good deals, if that makes mm. sense. And so I, I wouldn't necessarily beat yourself up over it. And I would say that who the buyer is matters and you should explore opportunities with multiple buyers and, and see what happens. If you're, if you feel like an exit is the right option, if you want to wait a year, fine, wait a year. But if you're waiting a year, thinking of the aggregator craze or like things are going to, I, I wouldn't, okay (laughs) you know what i mean like if you've mentally checked out of your business then then explore the opportunity because the minute you take your foot off the gas pedal and your trends start to go like that the less attractive your business that's a good point it's always better to sell when it's going up not going down right (laughs) it's a harder conversation to have to the buyer when the sales are going down a lot of explanation (laughs) yeah that's a good yeah that's awesome right it's a funny like visual right if your if your business is going up and to the right then it's easy for investors to model what's going to continue after that. But if your business is going down and to the right, well, if they just continue that pencil line down to zero, where, where you know what I mean? Like if they just keep drawing that line all the way down. Well, how much, how much time you got? Eight months, 12 months, 16 months, like before that hits zero? Is it, oh, that's not going to happen. Well, 
Yeah, Maybe. Good points. Yeah, this is really <laughs> valuable. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree, Mice. Everything is quite good. Uh, we, we really love all the inputs from Jeff today. I think, I hope our listeners and our viewers are also taking notes of what we are talking about here. And it will really help you move forward in this kind of industry and business as well. What I think my takeaway here is that it, when the brand is strong, of course, it would just be progressive. Would it really slow down. And again, we really enjoyed this episode. There's a lot to um, think about. There's a lot of realization. There's a lot of inputs. And we just want to make sure that we will be learning more of this in quite some time as well. And of course, since you're here um, in our podcast, how can people reach you? And what are some ways to get in touch with you, especially to our listeners and viewers here? Yeah, always happy to uh, to chat to people. Uh- I think the easiest way would be to, to, to email uh, sales at the fbabroker.com. Um, the whole team has access to it. I check it every day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a generic info at whatever email, but okay. trust me, it does go to real human beings. I look at it. I always have it on the corner. So sales at the fbabroker.com will ensure that, you know, somebody will get back to you uh, uh, <laughs> quickly and and um and we can get a call on the books so yeah sweet thanks jeff really appreciate gotcha. it Gotcha. We are so happy uh, to have you again here. It's a privilege to have you in our show. And of course, in our future episodes, especially on 2023, if we, if you've given a chance, we'll love to have you as our guest again. Again, guys, this is Faye with you, your co-host here in the uh, GFA podcast. And we are so happy to have another episode with you again. And we look forward to seeing you and for everyone to listen again in our future podcast and mike any any more anything you want to add i mean this is a deep one i mean i think it's one of our longer shows honestly um but yeah i mean it's uh it's definitely gonna be one for the books and uh and really appreciate your time jeff i know it's even late late for you so i appreciate it really appreciate we really enjoyed this one thank you so much jeff and we look forward to having you in our next podcast very very soon thanks guys And thank you to our sponsor, our returning sponsor, Mercury.com Online Bank. Well, it's a real bank, but you can do it totally online for U.S. Our Blimp program participants are going through this as well. Thank you, Mercury. Travis is great there. He's been on our show. He's been in our events. We're going to have another event where we will have them attending as well. And if you want to get a little bonus for you and us, if you sign up and do some special circumstances you can go to globalformation.com slash mercury i also have a video tutorial that we use even for the blimp people I use the same exact video to learn how to use it i hope you can check it out totally free why not see you there that was a great interview thanks jeff absolutely jeff and we've learned a lot i believe so also you and there's a lot of things that you can just d- digest in and how to sell being an amazon seller mostly the experiences of jeff could surely help you start on this kind of industry what can you say anything that you want to share any thoughts about the inter- interview that we have with jeff sure i think you know, one point is beginning with the end of mind. A lot of people maybe don't start thinking they're going to sell their business. More and more are doing that. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people just start and just don't think about that. Mm-hmm. So just by understanding, even if you're not ready to sell, understanding this kind of process mm-hmm. 
what investors are thinking and looking for, mm. as well as knowing the trends right now. Because I'm talking to people that want to sell right now, <laughs> and it's not a good time really to sell. I mean, you can sell, like Jeff says, but it's just maybe wait or know the market and know when maybe a better time to sell is. I truly agree because it's not all, all about just selling, that's it. It's like just one, two, three, it's not like that. It's always you wanna dive in, not only dive in, like dig deeper, research, do a lot of A-B testing, do a lot of things mainly in the back end, of course front end, you will earn, there's a lot of income. It's of course that, it's very usual, but inside of it, 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 that's the most technical part and of course you need to learn that before stepping in in this kind of industry. What can you say about that? Yeah, I mean just <laughs> knowing the industry, knowing like knowing what multiples are mm -hmm. and knowing these terms, especially if in, in being ready in advance rather than mm -hmm. just kind of getting jumping with these investors. A lot of them <laughs> don't even really know Amazon. We talked about it, right? But they mm. know financials, they know how to like bargain, negotiate and we, we try to, you know, a lot of these brokers too, they try to help the seller because they don't know, it's their first time. But if you're educated, you're usually going to make a lot more money. So it's worth it to learn. I agree, I agree. And of course, of course, learning with Jeff, as you can see, it's, it's a pretty long interview. Yeah. I believe so. But it's very valuable for all of us, all of the ones that just want to start on it. Of course, that you know, if you're an aspiring on it or you just want to learn more about it, well, this is the best episode for you. And there's a lot to learn, as you can see, even me, of course. And I, there's a lot of terminologies yeah. on the interview. Through, yeah, the and well, we should learn that step by step. Step. Of course, not like an overnight thing, but if you want to get to learn more about the industry, it's all about researching on it. Just want to make sure that you really absorb what you're going in for, right? Yeah. So I think going to the battle with the right guns, right? Guns, with the right your, equipment. Your tools and, <laughs> mm -hmm. your, uh, and your knowledge. Exactly. Exactly right. on that. Well, let's take a walk. Today, yeah, we ready. want this again. This is a special episode. We want to take a walk. So our team here doesn't even know we're going to interview them. All right. So we want to make sure that we'll just surprise them, get insights. I don't know. You won't yeah, want to try asking any kind of thing. Let's go. Let's go for it. Let's go think, for it. Let's go over Let's go. I think we see our amazing video editor, Alvin. Yeah, Alvin's pretty. Oh, Alvin is with his partner. partner. Yeah. And uh, hi, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> and we are going towards you guys. So it, this is something new. Again, a special episode for everyone. We are here in Hanging, Hanging Guy Garden. Garden here yeah. in Tige Time. All right, let's take Alvin. Hi, Mike. What's up? Good, good, good. We're making the episode. Ah, okay, you're making the intro. What right part now, is this? This you're... is the outro. We're just kind of walking ah, around. Okay, this is the last part. Yeah, Alvin is awesome. But thanks, Alvin. Yeah. You enjoy? How many years have you been edit editing? I've been the... editing this podcast since <laughs> 2017, I guess. Yeah, five I years. think so. It's going to be crazy. six years this May. Wow. Very loyal man. to you. Yeah, Alvin's <laughs> the best. I really love Alvin. We really love Alvin. Thank you. Man. Loyalty award goes to. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Okay, right. so that's our first two interviewings. And who's your next target now? I think it might get random now because I think 
we're preparing to go to KTV and dinner. Exactly. And what are your plans about it? Of course, are you excited about it or do you love singing? I'm just gonna maybe stick to Hotel California. <laughs> okay, so that's... How about your... you? You're the singer, you're good. Okay, your let's song. see, let's see. I'm not quite sure yet though. Oh, okay. So we want to jump in with our team here. So a lot of our teams here are just chit-chatting and such. And let's get their insights about our retreat here in Tegetai. Yeah, I think LG LJ first. LJ. LJ is our general manager. She's the big boss. And then order here's the big man is the big boss. The boss man. Boss yeah. man. It's our first ever ninja gathering ninja, that we yeah. call. And it's nice to see everyone in the flesh. Yes. Get to know more of each one. And the people that we once thought were very quiet. Yeah, Penny. Has, you know, or have stories to share as well. So it's a great experience, really. So thanks. Great. Mike, and Sally, thanks. yeah. Shadstone. The great team. Sally, she does she's everything. She's like Superwoman. Yeah. She's like client services community, sourcing. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best question, how's 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 it feeling working with Shadstone? Just just for a while now. What do you feel about working with everyone here, especially with Mike? To be honest, it's really great. It's it's amazing. It's this is an amazing team. So I'm just happy to be, you know, having this opportunity to work with them. Cool. Of course, my trying, <laughs> trying my best. <laughs> Stressful <Mentorship>. times. <laughs> yeah, you're. Thank you're, you. Thank, thank you. you all. All right. This is Andrea, Andrea, Andrea and Anne, for Anne. those who don't Hello. know. Hello. So, Welcome to our retreat. Yeah, we're, actually yes. Akita was on the podcast. We're doing the outro for the podcast right now for Global From Asia. Yes, so and we are just sorting the items. And yes, thank you Akita. <laughs> yeah, these are really beautiful products. And yeah, we are checking them out. And... Some of them were giving away to the Great. members. Nice, yes. nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you too. Christian. <laughs> He's too busy to, to talk. Hi guys, how are you? Ah, so getting the Amazon stuff going? Yeah, a lot of things to do guys. Nice, nice. This will be Global Major's show. So yeah, Christian helps keep the Amazon operations moving along. It's, it's a lot happening, so yeah. thanks hey guys, buddy. If you guys want to focus on Amazon, just contact us. You can contact Mike or our team, Shadstone, and we will help you out nice. to increase your sales. Thanks. Great. Thanks, buddy. All right. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. And we have also... Well, last but not least, Ariane, six months pregnant. Oh, she gave us, it's like crinkles. Mainly crinkles are chocolate. Yeah, she also... <laughs> she's a baker too, right? Yeah, she gave us that. Thanks, nice. Ariane. Wow, thank Welcome. you. No worries. Congrats on the new baby too. Yeah, thank you, Mike. All right, all right. thank you. Yeah. All right, I think that's a wrap. Absolutely, there's a lot going on here. We're really enjoying and we're about to go out. Yeah, KTV dinner, so exactly. everybody's ready. And everyone's ready. I think LJ is ready. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Woo! Super happy for this special episode. And of course, I look forward to meeting the team in the next part as well. Many, many more. Please, absolutely. Thanks, Faith. Absolutely. You got me here. You got right. me here. All right. All right. We'll see you guys see very, later. very soon. Cheers. Again, this is Faith, this is Mike, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.